Let's open our Bibles this morning to Isaiah 55. I speak to those this morning that might be spiritually discouraged. If you're not spiritually discouraged this morning, you will be sometime. So you still should listen to what I have to say. I want to speak to those that, speak, that, that feel spiritually overwhelmed, disappointed in yourself, recognizing your failures and your sins, wondering how God could have any mercy for you, how you might even be one of His with all the sins that you have, wondering how you could confess your sins again when you've confessed the same sin maybe ten times, maybe a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ died for them all. Right. He died for them all, and all God wants from His precious children, for whom He has given the life of His only begotten Son, is for us to acknowledge them and come to Him, and He wants to blow them all away through the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, so that He can have fellowship with us. He wants that. And we can have fellowship with Him. We need that. And we should want it. And our joy can be full. Because He's paid for all our sins, past, present, and future. May Jesus Christ be praised. Last Sunday, Jeremiah chapter 7, we studied, Amend your ways and your doings, that it may be well with thee. We saw in Jeremiah chapter 7 how the nation of Israel had what we would call a carnal contemporary Christianity in which they were going through the motions of worshiping God, but their heart was not right with Him. And do you know all they had to do was repent? All they had to do was repent. And He said in verse 23 of that chapter, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people, and it will be well with you. All they had to do was repent. He doesn't require us to punish ourselves. He doesn't require us to wait. Just come to the mercy seat. And he'll abundantly pardon. Look at the verses that we're about to consider. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And brethren, he can be found today. And he is near today. But I cannot promise you tomorrow. So let's seek him today. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. When you look at verse 7, and you think that's too easy, it's too easy for the wicked and unrighteous simply to return to the Lord and to confess their sins and receive abundant pardon, it's too easy. It can't be that easy. We have verses 8 and 9 to help you out. My ways are not your ways. You might not be able to forgive like that. You may not even forgive yourself like that. And we generally don't. Especially those of you with the M curse. 
That's the melancholy curse. You love to hold on to pain and guilt and suffering. But Jesus Christ says, turn to me and I will abundantly pardon. And if you don't believe it, he says, my ways are not your ways. You may have a problem with forgiveness and believing forgiveness, but I don't. For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts as the heaven is above the earth. He'll abundantly pardon. Melancholies love to grovel in their pain. They love the feelings of despair and gloom because, oh, they're so worthy of suffering. But Jesus has saved us and we are the sons of God. Brethren, we're worthy of glory because Jesus gave his life for us. We are the sons of God. We're worthy of joy because he died to give us joy. I, I exhort you from Isaiah 55 that today is the day. Let us start over. If you can remember times in your life where your spiritual zeal was greater and you're in a spiritual funk or you feel overwhelmed or discouraged, brethren, let's go to the Lord. Let's confess and acknowledge our sins. He'll abundantly pardon. And He will give us the joy that we so desire and so need. May the Lord bless us this day to do that. His forgiveness is such a higher concept than ours because of the price that was paid. Remember, I've already pointed out that he can't forgive at all. He can't pardon at all because his justice will not allow it. But a price has been paid that is so abundantly sufficient. I read in Isaiah chapter 40 that the comfort could be given to Israel that they had received double for all their sins. Brethren, if you think you're running out, there's twice as much left. Oh, I've had so much. I've been waiting to get at you this morning because I want to give you good news. I want to fill you with hope. Do you know, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees murmured once when Jesus was eating with sinners. And he turned and he said, they that are whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick. I didn't come for you people. I came for these sinners. Now, how does that make you M people feel? He's looking for sinners, not righteous performers. Do you know what the Bible tells me? It tells me that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 90 and 9 just persons that need no repentance. That is good news. That is is not my way. I'd rather have the 99 just persons in a congregation. Please just allow me, for the sake of the illustration, I do love repentance. But I want to make the point, and I think you'd all agree with me. You'd rather have the 99 just persons that need no repentance, but his ways are higher than our ways. He wants the one that's feeling discouraged, depressed, overwhelmed, beat, defeated, to come to him because he's got abundant pardon for you, brethren. Abundant pardon. Let's look in our Bibles now at Matthew chapter 1, and let's make a quick review of the legal phase of the forgiveness of sins. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. The legal phase, what we call the legal phase, some others call it our positional forgiveness in Christ Jesus. The legal phase is the price that Jesus Christ paid to God. It didn't require our existence. It was a legal transaction paid by the blood of Jesus Christ, His death, to His Father, in which His Father would then view the elect as being holy and without blame, without sin at all, because all their sins were forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a legal transaction that took place long before you were born, long before your grandparents were born, because it took place 
at the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and His ascension into heaven. But even before that, God the Father saw and knew and foreordained the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So in the mind of God, in the purpose of God, we have always been His beloved children. And He's put us in this world for an experience with sin so that we'll appreciate the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. And we will love heaven oh so much more when once we're taken out of here. Matthew 1.21 She shall bring forth a son, the angel told Joseph, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's his whole purpose for coming, was to save his people from their sins. He came to, to save us from sins. And it's a faithful saying. And it's worthy of all acceptation. And do you know what that means when it says it's worthy of all acceptation? It's a good enough promise that you ought to accept it. And we accept it by just confessing our sins and believing that they're forgiven. And we go on. But that's that's the practical phase. Our sins legally have always been put away. Right. Jesus paid the price for them. That's the purpose he came into this world. You know how many verses I could give you on this particular subject? You know, on the cross, he said, it is finished. And that was the legal payment for all our sins. It is finished. Lord, my Father, all of my brothers and sisters that you've given me are now redeemed from all their sins. Let's look over at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We sang a new song this morning, number 461. And while we didn't know the tune very well, the words were excellent. Horatius Bonar, excellent words about where our salvation truly rests. Look at Colossians 1. Here's a description of this legal transaction. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is in Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. The man Christ Jesus is the embodiment of everything good in the universe, because he was God in the flesh. In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him all fullness should dwell. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. No one can reprove us. No one can blame you. You are holy. That is an incredible fact. I give you incredibly good news this morning. The only reason it is not rejoicing your heart is sin. A sin nature and sins unconfessed. And brethren, this is the test always of a child of God. The love that you have to hear the message of Jesus Christ the Redeemer. And if you don't, it's because you have a sin nature and because you have not been feeding the Spirit of God by walking in the Spirit, and therefore the Spirit is quenched and grieved in your life, and so you have no joy. See, being happy... Being happy because you made got a promotion on the job or being happy because you went and had a picnic is not spiritual joy. 
it's excitement and thanksgiving and confidence and hope and pleasure in the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save me, Amen. even me, even you. And here it is in Colossians chapter 1. That's the legal transaction that Jesus paid to put our sins away forever so that we're unblameable. What's the verse we've learned in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. That's it. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Isn't it pitiful that sometimes you and sometimes I want to lay things to the charge of our own souls before God? Do you know what I'm talking about? I hope you do, because I'm just going to tell you, I, I know it. I want to tell him that some, some of my sins are so great that he couldn't possibly forgive me. I knew, I knew too, too much. And I went and sinned presumptuously against that knowledge. Sometimes it's, you've sinned this one so many times, J.R. You've sinned this one so many times and confessed it. You've reached the limit. Listen, if you were sincere, you'd just stop doing it. That's the devil, brethren. That's the devil. Before I get done today, I'm going to tell you how that devil comes and lies. But we're to to hold up the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts of that devil when he tries to discourage us like that and run to Christ and trust his blood. It's the safest safest deal you've ever made is to run to Jesus Christ and trust his blood. He came to pay for sinners. He came to pay for all their sins, past, present, and future. There's nothing that can be laid against the child of God. The Apostle Paul would say it's a worthy statement. And you should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He doesn't come looking for the righteous. He comes looking for sinners. So can he find you this morning, and will you turn to him? And will you return to the Lord? And he will abundantly pardon. Brother, we stand before God right now. Right now, we stand before God. And he looks at us as his sons and daughters. Perfect. Right. Holy. Righteous. Without blame. Without reproof. Forever. Nothing can alter that whatsoever. Jesus died and said, it is finished. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're told, turn over there to Hebrews 10. This is a great place of comfort about sin. Hebrews chapter 10. There's a statement in here that's repeated. It's in chapter 8 and it's in chapter 10. And it's in verse 17, and it says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That is the promise of the new covenant. And how does the new covenant come into force? Because you offer your firstborn? Because you come down an aisle and invite Jesus into your heart? What puts the new covenant into force? Chapter 9 and verse 15 tells us that the new covenant goes into force by means of death. Don't all wills go into force when someone dies? As long as a testator is still living, his will that's in the safety deposit box at a bank is of no value. But when that testator dies, when the old man dies, when the grandfather dies, and in his will he has benefits drawn out for you, then it becomes forceful. Then you have a claim for blessings, for benefits. And God wrote a covenant. These, my elect children, will have all their sins paid for by the substitute whom I will send so that they can live forever with me, holy and without blame and without reproof. Neither devils nor men 
can lay anything to their charge. And what put that promise into force? God died. He died through the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And it put it into force. It's unconditional. But it includes the forgiveness of all our sins. Look at verse 10. Hebrews 10, 10. By the which will. That's Jesus Christ's willingness to come and perform his role in the covenant of God. By the which will. We are sanctified. That is to be made holy. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. That's your past sins. That's your present sins. And that's the sins of next week. Once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. His holy elect he has perfected forever. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. What Paul is saying here is the Old Testament tells us the same thing. For after that he had said before, he quoted this in Hebrews chapter 8, it's from Jeremiah 31, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There's nothing else we have to do. All sin's been paid for. And so legally we stand before God right now without sin. Our body is going to die because he has a new body for us. And I'm thankful it's going to die because we need to get rid of this thing that drags me down. He's got a new one for us. But we have a new man already inside us that's going to inhabit the new body. And that new man is not going to die at all. It shall never die. The moment our bodies die, it goes to be with the Lord in his personal presence in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what we believe. This is the legal phase of the forgiveness of sins. You know, God can deal with you before you're even born. When God deals legally, it's transactions at the bar of God's justice. Did you know you were made a sinner 4,000 years before, 6,000 years before you were born? How did you, how did you, how were you a sinner 6,000 years before you were born? But the Bible tells us you were because we were all in Adam. Adam was a legal representative for all the rest of us. He had the power of a proxy for us. He stood in our place. What he did was going to be applied to our account. 6,000 years ago, in God's legal view of things, We were condemned sinners because we all ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is Romans 5, 12 through 19, and it's very plainly laid out. It goes and says that there are men who died, but they never sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Well, why did they die then? Because they were guilty of Adam's transgression. Because they stood in him as their, he was their representative. Right. 2,000 years ago, another man stood in our stead, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died for our sins. He suffered the wrath of God, the penalty for all our sins 2,000 years ago, long before you were born. And so legally, all our sins were put away. And we could pursue this for a long time. 
but that's not my main purpose for today. Uh, but I want you established in the fact that positionally before God, you have not sinned. Because their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You are just like his son, Jesus Christ. You are perfected forever. There's no blame. There's no reproof. There are no sins. Jesus paid for them. God's justice and faithfulness is perfectly true. When he found a substitute in the person of Jesus Christ and punished him on the cross, justice required that that full payment be made and applied to all of our accounts. There's no sin. There was no sin when you were born. There was no sin a hundred years before you were born. There's no sin next week. If you sin a thousand times between now and the end of the year, which in our depraved state we're capable of, but we ought not to, right. he has paid for them all. Amen. But brethren, the only way that we can know that we're legally standing before God without sin <laughs> is to bear fruit of pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. and righteousness. Right. Do you know what it says in Second Peter? You know these verses because you were supposed to learn them. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Amen. If you do these things, it's obvious that you're one of God's elect and they shall never fall because who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? I mean, do you, do you see how it all works together? But in that passage, Second Peter 1, 8 through 11, it says that a man who is not bearing fruit, spiritual fruit, has forgotten. This is the best state about a man who doesn't bear fruit. We will generally assume that a man without fruit is a child of the devil. Because that's the rule of the word of God. But it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, a man without spiritual fruit is a man who has forgotten that he was purged of his old sins. We don't want to be like that. We want to bear abundant fruit so that we can make our calling and election sure so that we know that we're the ones that stand before God holy and without blame. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. And remember, Second Peter chapter 1 gives us a list of eight things, beginning with faith and ending with brotherly kindness, that are characteristics of a true spiritual man. That's how we know that positionally we stand without blame before God. Without this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, when you die physically, you begin your eternal torment forever and ever. Amen. The coldest, cruelest facts of the universe, but we deserve them. Right. With this sacrifice, when you die, you enter into the joy of your Lord forever and ever. What a huge difference Amen. a price can make. What a huge difference the death of Jesus Christ can make. Brethren, there's no starting over legally. My sermon today is entitled, Starting Over. There's no starting over legally. Jesus Christ already started us over legally with the sacrifice of himself. We sinned and put ourselves under condemnation. He delivered us so that we're pure and clean before him again and reserved and preserved so that we cannot sin and fall again from that position that we stand before him. Not one of those for whom he died shall be lost. We are not like those that believe every time you sin, you lose your legal position before God and have to confess your sins in order to regain your legal position. That's ridiculous. 
That means many for whom Christ died and paid the penalty for their sins will end up suffering in hell for their own sins when Jesus already paid for them. We don't believe that at all. We believe that the confession of sins is for something very different and something we're about to consider. There's no starting over legally. We are settled and reserved and preserved in heaven forever. Didn't you love Hebrews chapter 10? That's my favorite place to go. For the assurance of all my sins have been put away because he hath perfected forever. I like the word perfect and I like forever. And I like once for all. Amen. Right. And I like their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Amen. Do you know how many times we say I told you so? Or do you remember? You know, when we get into a a contentious situation with someone, we like to bring up their past failures. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Legally. Therefore, as the sons of God, and we've proven ourselves such by Second Peter chapter 1, we've proven ourselves to be the sons of God, we have full and final forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. He made peace with God, and so we are now positionally perfect before God. And we shall be formally declared to be so at the great day of judgment. The great day of judgment is for a formal declaration. It is the sentencing of the judge. This man is perfectly righteous. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's what the great day is for. The formal declaration of what is already true legally. You know, we still do that in our own courts. We wait for an appointed day of sentencing even though the decision has already long been made. You know, a jury will make a decision, but then they will appoint a day in which there's going to be a sentence actually formally executed against a man, and he's led away in chains if it's to judgment, or he's freed and he walks out the door if he's acquitted. And so it will be in heaven. But that's our future. Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, and so they are all forgiven. However... Even though we stand before God perfectly holy, when he views us, he views us through the Lord Jesus Christ, when he considers us legally and what we truly are, and that is forgiven saints, holy and without blame. But we are still in this world, and because we're in this world with a sinful nature, we still sin. All those sins have been paid for legally by Jesus Christ, so they do not spot or stain our position before God as his holy and pure children. But those sins do separate between us and our Father, and they cause a disruption of the joy and peace and love and strength that God intends for us to have and that we should greatly desire. But the death of Jesus Christ also provides for this to be remedied. By the confession of our sins and turning again to the Lord, He wipes the slate clean, welcomes us with open arms, and we can have that restored fellowship almost instantly. It's incredible. That's what I tell you. The first first point that I told you, the legal forgiveness of sins, that's beyond belief. We haven't seen eternal judgment yet, so we can't fully measure what I told you. But what I told you is true. But now I've got something more. The great God, the great God that created us with immortal souls, 
and that also assigned our first parents not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and condemned the entire race to an eternity in hell, that great God wants to have fellowship with us and his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to share Jesus Christ with us. He wants to live life with us. He wants to dwell with us, and he does so by his spirit. And we offend him when we sin, and we disrupt the relationship that saints of God ought to have with their Holy Father. Right. Amen. Adoption makes a child a son. When you find a child and you adopt him, that makes him a son. When God found us and adopted us, that made us a son. Legally, we were a son. The documents have been signed. You're a son of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But though adoption makes a child a son, adoption does not guarantee that the father and the son get along perfectly all the time. That's why he calls us to live like the sons of God. That's why he tells us walk as children of God. He wants pleasure in us, and he wants to give us pleasure. Adoption is settled. That's part of the everlasting covenant. We are the sons of God. But brethren, God is willing to come down into this sin-cursed, rotten place called earth, into the depraved country called America, into Greenville, South Carolina, and walk and dwell and live with you individually and personally, giving you strength, joy, and peace through the Holy Ghost. And that is disrupted because of our sins, but we can wipe the slate clean today and start all over again with that warm fellowship and communion with Him by confessing our sins and turn to Him. He abundantly pardons. Amen. And so we want to consider practical forgiveness. Adoption makes a child a son, but it doesn't guarantee steady fellowship. Look at Luke 15 so that you grasp this concept thoroughly. It is my job to teach you so that you completely, with your soul and mind, understand that positionally, legally, in the sight of God, I am perfect forever. All sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for. But at the same time, I have to point out that God's relationship with us, as far as fellowship, I shouldn't have used the word relationship. We're the sons of God. That is our relationship. He is our father. We are his children. That's settled. It's one of the benefits of the everlasting covenant. Jesus Christ put that covenant into force. It's settled. We are the sons of God. The Bible says that. We are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's what the Bible says. That's settled. But now... We have been left in this world. He didn't take us straight to heaven. He left us here. He knew it would be horrible. So he promised to dwell with us. I'll get to that verse in a moment. He promised to dwell with us, but we interrupt that fellowship and that relationship with him. Every one of you that's married know what I'm talking about. When something comes between you and your spouse, it's interrupted. No longer is it pleasant and pleasing. It's what we call Cold War. Friends have that happen to them. Friends, brothers and sisters, siblings. You have an offense between you, and so you're angry at each other. You're upset with each other. You're disappointed. There's no longer the happiness of the relationship. 
We have the relationship, but God wants us to have the fullness of the joy of it. Right. That God is our Father. You know, at times, your heart is ready to burst with the fact... I hope that you all know. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, there's only one thing, if you can find within yourself the desire to humble yourself and seek the Lord to obtain what I'm going to tell you about. There is within the heart of a child of God at times enough energy and pleasure in God as his Father that all he can say is, Abba, Father, in whatever words you say it. You are overwhelmed with the fact that God is your Father and you love him and you would do anything for him and you want to please him and you want him to come to you and you want to sing to him and you want to sing about him. And you want to talk to others about Him. And you're reveling in the fact that God is your Father. It's the Abba Father statement of Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4. And whenever you're not feeling that, something has come between you and God. But we can wipe, we can start over. And get that back. You know, with our spouses, it's not very easy, is it? Especially if they've got the M curse. It takes them a while to forgive. You know, with me, it might take a while to forgive, but not with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Whenever you lose that joy and the love, when you lose that love between the two of you with God, I'm talking with the Creator God, it can be started over by just coming to Him and saying you're sorry and that you confess your sins. He loves it when you do that. It's an act of worship. Right. And he abundantly pardons and welcomes you and comes in and sups with you and you with him. Let's go look at this fact about the the fellowship being something different than the relationship. Luke chapter 15 is the prodigal son. In verse 24, the father is explaining why he wants to kill the fatted calf. Luke 15, 24, he says, for this my son was dead. Now, I know some of you know this verse, but I have to teach it to everyone in here. And I want you to grab a hold of it. This my son was dead. Now, did the son die? No, the son was living. In fact, it was riotous living as to how he was living. He was living riotously in a foreign country. But why does the father say he was dead and is alive again? He didn't die. There was no birth certificate. There's no resurrection here in the way of relationship. This second son, the the younger son, was the son before he left. He was the son when he left. He was the son of this man when he was in the pig pen. And he was the son when he came back. He didn't ever die. But why did the father say this, my son, was dead? Because the son was dead as far as any enjoyable fellowship. As far as any pleasure and love and affection between the two of them, it had been interrupted. The father loved his son, but the son had run away from his father's love. And in that sense, he was dead. The mutual exchange of communion. Brethren, communion is not just God toward us, it's us toward God. God wants fellowship with us. You say, does does he need to have... He chose to have that to magnify himself as to what a great lover he is. You'll know all about this someday, and so will I. Because we're going to sit at a table that we've never imagined, and it's going to be called a wedding. And we'll find out how much he loves us and appreciates our love and praise of him. The the, the, The death here in verse 24, and it's also down in verse 32, 
because he's trying to explain to the older brother why they were having a party. Because there had been a break in fellowship. There had been a break in pleasure. The, the relationship had been interrupted. Now it still stood true. Father was father. Son was son. God is still God, our Father in heaven. And we are still his perfect children on earth, even when we sin, as far as considering us legally and positionally. But the blessings of that relationship in the way of love and joy and peace and strength those have been squandered and we've squandered them because he never sins in the relationship he is faithful he never leaves nor forsakes us but we often leave and forsake him turn over to first timothy chapter five first timothy chapter five. Oh lord help every soul to be convinced of the beauty of walking with Thee and having fellowship with Thee and Thy Son, Jesus Christ, and knowing that it can be restored by such simple confession and trust in the blood of Your Son. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5. Now she that is a widow indeed, here's a godly woman who has lost her husband, a widow indeed. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate without family, trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. There's an expression for you. Dead while you live. But here this deadness is spiritual deadness. She's not walking with God and having fellowship with Him and pleasing Him. She's out using her newfound freedom to do things for herself. Very different between verses 5 and 6. And the one in verse 6 is not a virtuous, noble saint, and therefore she is not to be helped by the church. A widow indeed is in verse 5, and that's a spiritual woman. And we want to be like that. We don't want to be dead while, we're, while we live. We want to be alive while we live. We want to be spiritually alive and in fellowship with God. Right. This is the salvation of James five nineteen and 20. Exactly. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Because conversion is confession, repentance, and reformation, and the sins are all hidden by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, John chapter 14. Does God truly want to live and dwell with us? John 14. The disciples had it good, didn't they? Three and a half years with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How many years have you had with him? Ten? We are not at a disadvantage to the disciples. Right. John chapter 14, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Amen. Now that's simple, isn't it? You know, he tells us his commandments are easy. This is, this is love, brethren. He is our groom. He is our bridegroom. We are his bride. We are his wife. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter. It's capitalized for a reason. That he may abide with you forever. God living and abiding. To abide means to stay there. To live with you forever. Notice the words. They're too much. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you 
and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Amen. I don't know how to improve on those words, except to keep reading them to you. God will come and live with us. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He's telling his disciples just before his death that I'm going away. But I will come to you. I'll stay with you forever through the Holy Spirit. This is that presence of Jesus Christ by his Spirit. He is called the Spirit of Christ in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit gives us the presence of Jesus Christ because, brethren, they are part of a trinity. I hope you can understand that we're not going to divide God up so that the Spirit of God is within us and God is in heaven and the two are separate. It's the Spirit of Christ is within us. And it's that Spirit of Christ that Romans chapter 8, I would like you to turn there. Romans, let's go to chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I will come to you. What phenomenal words. I will come to you. Jesus Christ said to his disciples, and he says to all of us, and he comes to us through his Holy Spirit that indwells every child of God. Romans 5, verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. If you hope in God, there is never shame. Because you'll never be disappointed in your hope. If you're hoping for something from someone here in this world, you are most likely going to be sorely disappointed. But you hope in Him and you'll never be ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. I love that verse. The Holy Ghost is given to us just as Jesus promised in John 14. And the Holy Spirit sheds abroad. Widely, widely pours out the love of God so that we feel the love of God within us when we're walking in fellowship with Him. He is communicating with us because He's inside us. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Look at chapter 8 and see what effect it has. And I've already mentioned this verse, but I want you to see it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The spirit that's within us is not one of fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. When God adopted us as His children, He gave us the Spirit so that we would know that we've been adopted. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And whenever you feel that slighted, stunted, dry, you're not sure of it. Sin has come between you and the Lord. Confess Acknowledge your transgressions. Tell Him what you don't see. You want Him to reveal to you, and you'll confess it. Turn to the Lord. He will abundantly pardon. Amen. It's an, it's, it, this, is un, this is incredible information that I'm giving you from the Word of God and how He wants to have fellowship with us. Galatians 4, 6 says the very same things. But now, brethren, look, I will come to you I will not leave you comfortless. It's the spirit of adoption witnessing to us that we are the children of God. It's what makes us cry, Abba, Father. It tells us that God loves us because it's shed abroad in our hearts. What happens when we sin? 
There is a personal relationship between us and the Lord who is within us. When we sin, we are choosing something over Him and against His commandments, showing that we really don't love Him. If you love me, keep my commandments. When we sin, we're not showing Him very much love, and He is offended. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Now when we sin, Jesus has already paid for that sin perfectly and completely and finally. In the communion, the friendship that we have with Him, we've offended Him. Verse 30 of Ephesians 4 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. This verse tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grief is a personal pain caused by the offense of another. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He came as our comforter. He wants to comfort us and love us. Everything that you ever thought about marriage is perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ and us. If you think about that one year that was to be given to cheer up the new wife that he's taken, the Holy Spirit is given to cheer us up perpetually. But when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says that we quench the Spirit. What, to quench something is to put out its flame. What was burning brightly has been reduced because we have sinned. We've quenched the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 When we quench the Spirit of God, what do we give up? What do we lose? Love. Can we go to Galatians 5 and verse 22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love? But let's not go there because that's our love. Let's go back to Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. When we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, we do not feel the love of God like we once did a moment ago, a day ago. If you continue in that sin, you quench the Spirit of God more and more to where when you come to church and the sermon is about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and something like this, it's boring and dry. And you say, I wish he'd preach on prophecy or something. So we lose that love, the love of God. The zeal, the, the, the pleasure that wants to burst out of our souls saying, Abba, Father, is quenched. We're going through life. Man, this went wrong today. That went wrong today. Because the love of God is gone, it's, or quenched, or gone, is from our consciousness. Our consciousness has been interrupted because the source of that communion with us, there's someone that will, is willing to talk to you 24 hours a day, 24-7. You can have an infinite, the infinite creator God to be your friend and communicate with you in your inner man. But we interrupt that fellowship with sin. And we lose the love of God. We lose our confidence that we're His children. We lose love, joy, peace, and hope. We lose it. He came to be our comforter, but because we've pushed Him at arm's length, we no longer are comforted. And so we're distressed. We're discouraged. We're gloomy. We're in despair. And what does it take to start over again? Which is all I want you to do is to go home today and know that I can start over again because of Jesus Christ. I can have fellowship with God, and I shouldn't wait until tomorrow. Right. Because I don't know that I have tomorrow. Right. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. That God wants to have fellowship with you. 
and he will. But when we sin, we rob ourselves. We rob ourselves of the love, joy, and peace, and assurance, and comfort of that relationship with him. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We give the devil a place in our lives when we sin and we don't confess it. Not only do we lose the strength of the Holy Spirit, but we give the devil an inroad. Now, what does the devil want to tell you when he gets an inroad? He doesn't come and say, I am the devil. Light a candle and make a prayer to me in the name of Lucifer. He comes to you and says, you can't make it as a Christian. Don't worry about it. You're doing the best you can. Just relax. I know, I know right now you've lost some of your joy, but you probably can't get it back. You're such a loser. God can't forgive you again. And on and on it goes. You may have your own set. My set is that I have to show my righteousness to the Lord before he'll forgive me. I can't confess my sins until I've given him a clean period in my life. And so, see, I'm I'm trying to bring my righteousness to the Lord to obtain peace with God, and the Bible just wants us to come as we are. First John chapter 1, here's what we can have. I read this with my sons last night, and I hope, as one of the chapters that we read, I hope that they'll remember this. That first word to me is a precious, that. Do you all know what that is there for? In all caps, in the first word of first John chapter 1. It's the same way he, John started his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, which was from the beginning, that is the Word of God, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. That's how close they were to Jesus Christ. They looked, they saw, they heard, they touched Him. We have it better. He's in us. Of the word of life, capital W. For the life was manifested. Jesus came into the world and took on a human body. And we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us in the person of Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Wonderful, wonderful verses. The Apostle John is writing and saying, I have fellowship with this being, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom I was able to see and look upon, and I heard Him and I touched Him. Because remember, John was the one that laid on his bosom when they ate. He says, I have fellowship with Him, and with his father. But I am declaring these things to you that you're about to read, that you can have fellowship with us also. You can be involved in this fellowship. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. I want you to have this fellowship and the purpose of the fellowship is to have full joy. Right. Amen. In a joyless world. Yes, it's possible. There's there's no hope in the world. All the hope is in Jesus Christ. Everyone without Jesus Christ is going to die and face the second death. 
But we can have fellowship even now with Jesus Christ and the Father. This, verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him. This is what he taught us. And this is what I'm teaching you. And declare unto you that God is light. That is, God is holy. And in him is no darkness at all. No sin at all. God is holy. God is light. And in him there is no sin or darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This morning, any one of you, if you think that you're having fellowship with God, but you're walking in darkness, there is even the least sin that you have not confessed. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And if he doesn't hear you, believe me, there's no fellowship. If there's the least unconfessed sin, you have separated from God because there is no darkness in God at all. And if we say we're having fellowship with him while we hold on to a sin and try to cover it and hide it and protect it, we lie. We're lying to ourselves and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we walk without sin, if we live a life without sin, if we try to follow the commandments of God and keep the commandments of Christ, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ has the residual effect of sanctifying everything that we do so that we can walk with this holy God. And the forgiveness that's included in verse 7 is based on the confession that's in verse 9. Because it's describing how we're cleansed from sin in verse 9. If we are walking in the light, that is consciously trying to keep his commandments. And when we sin, we practice verse 9 by confessing our sins. Then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin, and we can't have that fellowship that he here is offering us. Amen. And brethren, I will use the word offer when it comes to fellowship. Right. He doesn't offer us eternal life, but he does offer us fellowship. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The whole world thinks that's a salvation verse. That verse is addressed to the church at Laodicea. Right. Everyone there is already saved. But they thought and were very complacent and content in their lives without spiritual fellowship with Jesus Christ. And he said, you think you're rich, but you're poor. You want to really be rich? Invite me in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear and open the door to me, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That is fellowship. There's no eternal life in the verse. There's no eternal life in the chapter. It's fellowship. There he is, offering to come in and have fellowship with us. And how do we do it? Verse 7, 1 John chapter 1, we walk in the light because he's in the light, and we confess our sins, which means we start over. Maybe five times a day. But we're still walking in the light. We're still walking in the light. As soon as he shows us that we've offended him, we run to him and ask for his forgiveness and confess our sins. And do you know what he does? He forgives us. So we keep right on walking in the light and having fellowship with the God of heaven. And every one of you can do this. And you you can aim in the desire of your hearts to excel and everyone else in here in your walk with God. I would just be very pleased to have a congregation emulating each other in their fellowship with Jesus Christ and his Father. That is coveting earnestly the best gifts and the best blessings. 
I will come to you. What I want to do today is give you encouragement that you can start over. Because, brethren, the Christian life is starting over daily. Right. And we can walk blamelessly before God as soon as he shows us that we've offended him. And don't you all know rather quickly? Amen. What the problem is is our stubbornness and rebellion. And that heart that wants to get in there and hold on to our sin. That's why we're coming here this morning. And may God have grace upon us to convict us by his Holy Spirit that we will confess our sins, start over today, and start over the rest of our lives so that we can walk in the light as he is in the light, have fellowship with our Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ, and our joy might be full. Don't be discouraged, brethren. He's looking for sinners. Are you a sinner this morning? Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive them, and you'll be forgiven.